Ken, is there any off chance that you're actually playing something new? Not this week, no. Uh, you've had again. some. You've had some stuff recently. Some bit of... You've had a, you've had a you've had a year for playing shit that no one's heard of, which has been kind of interesting. Yeah, but um, it's been a it's been a dry spell at the moment. What if I've we got... say you're playing Starfield and you just pretend? <laughs> I got I got early 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 access. I am very tempted to write a review like I did for Horizon where I had not played it at all. It's like I bet I need. Player 2 Pixelcast episode 115. I am your host, Tim Henderson, and I have double, triple checked to make sure that this is indeed episode 115, because I do not want to have to go and plug in my microphone and get everything down again to record, like, a fix at the beginning of the show saying I told the other host the wrong episode number, and it's actually my fault. <laughs> so this is the death we're going to this time is, yep. <clears throat> Spent an extra two minutes making sure I had the episode number right, so it's going to be fucking hilarious if I somehow met, like, did my Google search wrong and got, got, that, off, got that off. Anyway, um, joining me, as always, ever-reliable, Ken, you're here! Yes, I am! Is my number right? Are we 115, or have I just completely just destroyed the entire show? Look, does it matter in the end? It does. It does not matter. I mean... So... I mean, no, but, like, you got to be in the weeds to be great. <laughs> you know, dress for the job you want, says the guy wearing shorts and a bed shirt that is, like, covered in stains because he can't be bothered to wash it properly. Rob, you're here too. <laughs> How's, you're, see, you're smart. You're in a black shirt, so nobody's going to see those stains. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I see. It's, you know, classic Melbourne colours, so. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. yeah. Welcome, welcome, well, welcome to our show that we're recording while the world explodes. Like, I, I, I feel like, like we're gonna run out of Twitter jokes within the next couple of months. I think it's finally. <laughs> the, the I don't know. I, I, I keep thinking, like, there will be non-stop jokes, like for the next at least couple of months. Yeah, like, but every already... turn. I mean, we... every turn there are new jokes to make. I mean, the problem for us though is we record this show. What is it? About three days early. Three days before it goes live, on average. And it's, they're already out of date by the time the show goes live at this point. Like it's, And it's not even people making you no, new jokes. It's just Twitter itself. It's just Elon Musk doing really dumb shit at a just breakneck pace. It's that, that, that classic meme picture where they've got, you know, they superimpose his head over Homer Simpson. He's at the desk. It's like, watch out. He's about to do something stupid. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, we might do something stupid, maybe we won't. Um, we have been playing some <laughs> games, though, although... Actually, you know, before that, yes, topic. I should make my brain work. We will be eventually talking about games that, like, open really well. That's going to be pretty broadly defined. I'll, you know, get more into what that definition is when we're actually talking about that. First things first, though, do come video games, and let's start old new. Rob, you've been playing this game that I have these weird memories of visiting a friend's house and seeing, and it was like, you're playing Doom, but you're not playing Doom, but it looks like Doom, and what is it? Okay, so I'm currently working on this for review. Um, it's Rise of the Triad Ludicrous Edition. Um, so Rise of the Triad, of course, was a first-person shooter that came out after Doom, so 95 Five, six, and this is maybe? Oh, it was 95, because I definitely remember it being one of the first games right. I played on our family's first PC. 
and we got that at the start of 95. So, um, yeah, so basically this is one of those, take an old game and update it for modern stuff, which has already happened once with Rise of the Tribe. They did a full-on remake in 2013. Yeah, I feel like this isn't the first time. Yeah, so they did that, and then this is basically the original game, but you know, in in HD on an enhanced engine. It's got a whole, got all the things. There's like over a hundred levels across all the episodes. It's got the widescreen. So the HD updates. It's got like switchable music stuff, so you can play the original FM like on an AdLib or Sound Blaster or, or MIDI with various things like that. It's got proper mouse look, um, and it's sort of that. The thing is, is it's 2.5D in the Wolfenstein style, so you don't have complex levels, but they're they're kind of bigish, a lot of rooms, but there are platforms. So there's like the yeah. step platforms that you move up around, and they're sort of a bit like that. There's also some really weird weapons, like you have you have your assortment of guns, which all have unlimited ammo, and then you have various missile weapons, like drunk missiles that fire like three or four missiles that home in wildly, heat-seeking missiles, the flame wall, which basically shoots a shot in front of you, lands on the ground and becomes a wall of fire that takes everything out. See, this all actually sounds kind of awesome. Like, the thing is, so I played this as a kid, briefly, but I didn't, but had access to Doom, so why play this? But coming back to it now, it's really unique, and, like, the pacing, like, I booted the original game up in DOSBox for a quick play to compare it, and the pacing is really fast. And it feels very different, even amongst, like, the boomer shooter revival that's going on. This feels... It feels really different, and I'm actually quite enjoying it. Um, because it just, like, the, the pacing... The, the only thing I don't really like is the enemies are a bit bullet spongy. And I think mm. they really want you to use your missiles, which uh, have limited ammo, while all your, like, guns, your pistols and your machine gun, they have unlimited ammo... And so you're sitting there, and sometimes shooting them is a bit slow, and it's like, I think it wants you to use the missiles. But sometimes you just don't get enough. Like, you could find a weapon and pick it up, and you've got, like, seven or so shots before you throw it away. So that's sort of a little unbalanced. But I think that's an original game design thing, not something inherent in this version. But, of course, there's all the weird magic stuff you get. One of the things I always remember is there was a power-up that was dog mode, and it would turn you into a dog for a limited amount of time, and you'd be going to... Like, run up to the enemies and chomp at them. There's a power-up that lets you fly. So you can fly around the levels. Because all the levels, they're not... So... I remember remember lay it, like, up and down, definitely. Yeah, so there's up and down. And so this power-up lets you fly. Because then you have, like, these platforms that move up. And sometimes they're, like, lifts. So sometimes they'll bounce up and down. Sometimes they're ones that are floating on a rail. And then others are arranged like stairs. And so it's a very unique aesthetic with how the levels are put together um it's it's like i said it's pretty frantic the levels aren't too long to work through and that's like kind of an important fun. point actually yeah it's like it's got that thing where the levels are like five to ten minutes to play through a, a single stage um and but then you've got the you've got the thing where you've got the little unk pickups which are like coins in mario brothers collect 100 you get an extra life so you've got that mechanic as well so it's very i feel it's very much like a first-person run-and-gun, that's what it feels like to me playing it compared to, like, how I would sit down and play Doom or how I'd sit down and play Wolfenstein. Like, you've got the hidden rooms, but unlike Wolfenstein where you're hitting the the use key on every wall until you find the one that triggers it, you have these trigger spots on the ground and you can tell they're trigger spots because they're, like, these transparent black circle over the tile. 
And when you hit that, then it's like the wall triggers and opens out. So you've got a lot of things like that where it plays a lot like these really early FPSs, but it manages to feel different enough that there's actually something special about it playing it now in 2023. Um, it's worth noting the the port was handled, like this edition was handled by Night Dive and New Blood, so it's got a lot of really good talent behind it. And unlike um, last game we did a review of the Terminal Velocity Boosted Edition, which was <laughs> a, a really cheap reissue of the original game, this has had a lot of love poured into it. And I think if I think it's... I mean, I have not played enough of it that I'm ready to write my review yet. I'm still playing playing it as I am. But I'm really, really digging the experience right now because it, it manages to stand out quite a lot from other first-person games that, like I said earlier, the, the boomer shooter stuff, it really and stands out. And there's been a lot of those lately. Yeah, I mean, there has. And this just feels different enough that, like, yeah, it, it, it just manages to stand out because of that. Like, even though I didn't go gangbusters for it back in the day, and I don't remember any of my friends really, like, talking about it the way we talk about other games. So it's kind of been a neat thing to go back to and play completely. That feels just really different. So, yeah, I'm, I'm digging I, that so far. I've always... Well, I know friends who played this game back in the day, and I, and I never got around to giving it a try myself. But um, I've always heard, you know, just sort of... This game holds quite a special like place in many people's gaming histories. So, so it, it it's not a reverence, but like people really like this specific game. Um, yeah, and it's not surprising that well, it's not surprising that the publisher New Blood are the people to bring it because this is this is the right this is their jam, right? This is yeah. right exactly what they do. Um, but this game has. It's one of those ones that's just like kind of a cult classic. It's it's a real cult classic, and yeah. there are there's a whole generation of people who just really like this one. And it's interesting to see sort of like that era game then come back as a re sort of remaster in this version, yeah. as opposed to somebody then taking it and making it a brand new thing like Shadow Warrior. Yeah, well, they actually Shadow did Warriors that. Also pretty good. Yeah, they actually did that like ten years ago. I never played that version. I mean, I might actually grab it. Is the is the, is the is the is the twenty thirteen rise like a like a redo like a re like a whole yeah, new thing? Yeah, it's like a reboot. I'd have to double check, but I believe it's like a. I reboot. thought it was just. A, I thought it was just like. A, I thought it was a remastery well, kind of thing as well. I don't know where my brain is. Yeah, yeah. I was under the impression it was a remaster rather than a whole like ground up redo. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong on that front, but yeah, just. Like, it's sort of like, or maybe it's just a... But it's like it's like a new, at least a new visual style or something in comparison to to this, so... Um, yeah. Alright, uh, now I'm looking at some Rise of the Tribe screenshots from 2013, and it is quite 3D and has very little of its own personality. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, this is... Well, this- uh, an interesting rabbit hole to go down, I guess. It, it says a lot about just how dominant Doom was through the early t- through mid nineties. That mm. other games came out and were probably by their own right really quite good, 
but they weren't Doom. And then obviously, so the '90s were a, a big R sequel to a big game could literally come out a year later. Two would be like considered an extended development time. Yeah, it's definitely like, and it's just interesting that because this Rise of Tri actually started out as a sequel to Wolfenstein. Um, I can see that actually. Yeah, like you look at the soldiers; they're very much like. Mm. It yeah. looks. It makes it look kind of silly now, but I kind of dig that. Yeah. Like it's it's like yeah. Like as I said, I'm just digging it for what all it's doing in its own way. With like, yeah. As I said, it it didn't stand out much back then for me, but like playing it now, as it feels quite distinctive. So yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it, and we'll see. I did record sort of an opening impressions uh, player two place for it. Um, mm. So that's in the queue, and that might come up. I'm not sure when that. Hopefully that's up by the time the podcast comes out. Maybe. Um, hopefully. Um, and then failing that, yeah, I'll have my write-up on up on the site um, in the next week or so um, once I spend more time with it. Cool. It's like a... It's a it's, yeah, it's one of those games and just remember and go, yeah, that was a thing. It can't be too much of my history because my parents are, like, overly protective about anything violent to the point where I wasn't allowed to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ah. <laughs> so, like, that's why I have, like, these strange memories of, like, seeing it at a friend's house very specifically, but never really playing it much myself. Um, but I can yep. play whatever I want now, no matter how dark yeah. or bleak it is. Um, so I went out in a scorching summer day and <clears throat> found a copy of Final Fantasy sixteen that was equivalent of, let's say, about 20 bucks less than it retail. I was like, you know what? I'm going to justify this. I'm going to buy this. And then on the way home my wife had some friends visiting and ended up buying everybody coffee to the tune of about 20 bucks so it kind of cancelled itself out (laughs) oh no (laughs) um but yeah like this i i really wish i'd be given the being given the review for this and it's not because i wanted to play it first or like get it for free i have got some conflicting thoughts i am like going like on a friggin like sinograph about how I am feeling about this game. I've heard that from other people as well, from some comments that I've seen across um, social media from other friends who have been playing it as well. Oh, the, 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 the discourse... in time At the moment, the discourse is just, like, messy and sometimes, like, kind of ugly and gross, but in time, I think this is going to be a fascinating one to look back on. Mm-hmm. Um... It like there are so many questions of like why in my head though, and the first one is like why it's come out at the moment, and this is gonna like seem super weird, but I would recommend if you if you are listening to this now, chances are you're Australian and you're in Australia. Now is a good time to buy this game. This is like seasonal as shit. Play this in the winter. Like this game does not have a single summer vibe in it. Oh wow. Like this is not Wind Waker. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny yeah. which is weird because I mean you think of like food and drink as like seasonal all the time but you don't think about it with your entertainment as well but as a part of me that's going yeah. I would have enjoyed this more if I was playing it in November interesting um, partly because it is dark and like both thematically but also like just visually it is dark and I kind of applaud the degree to which they were willing to be kind of just drab with the visual design because it's actually really solid and incredibly consistent but it is difficult to play at one o'clock in the afternoon if you don't have blackout curtains in a sun, like in the middle of summer. <laughs> oh wow! Like it, like I think actually I may have to follow his lead. Huso said he just turned the HDR off, which helped a little bit. 
Um, but lucky like, I've, I've got my set here. My TV behind me doesn't have is an older panel, so it doesn't have HDR. So see, generally I like having HDR, but like, I like how to crank the brightness up quite a bit. But um, yeah, I mean it's like a weird one because it like actually kind of commits to this kind of gray, kind of muted tone, which is very not what you'd expect from Square Enix. Mm. A lot of the time, and like that's actually very brave because it is consistent. Like it's actually a pretty good art direction. Minus the glare on the screen, I would, I would make, which I may not have noticed if they would you know, made it a Christmas release, because it wouldn't be so friggin' impossibly bright and hot outside. But like, there's so many questions, and that, and like, Final Fantasy feels like it's been in like an identity crisis for half the time that I've been aware that this franchise exists. We still kind of like look at it as is like great, all powerful. We'll sell a bajillion copies. God of Japanese role-playing games. Um, but, like, the thing in, like, perspective is, like, Final Fantasy VII, which is the one that, you know, everybody just assumes everybody's played, sold around about 10 million on the PS1. Uh, I mean, 10 million's a good number, but, like, Zelda's sitting up in his cloud at the moment looking at that and going, pfft. Like, that's, like, two months in, and it's almost... And doubled it just about. Like, basically doubled it, yeah. I'm like, I can't remember, what's the lifetime sales of PS1? Like, it's... There are about 100, like, Final Fantasy VII yeah. sold about 10 million copies in total. That's Give or take. Like 10%. Yeah. So, yeah. pretty yeah. good attach rate. Yeah. And probably played a lot more because the benefit, one of the benefits of being on three discs was you're playing, you're halfway through disc two, and then you realize that this mate you want to, like, tell this game about, you could just totally give them your copy of the first disc. You don't need that anymore. Which is exactly yeah. how I actually played that game, was I was, like, just getting the seconds as somebody I knew was, like, kind of going through his copy, and it, it worked great, like, I wasn't left waiting at all. Um, so, like, yeah, it I... feels, like, since the end of the PS2 era, and I should point I actually really liked Final Fantasy XII a lot, but, like, this whole, this franchise is just, like, Square has, like, just been trying to figure out what it is. And everybody so, internet an expert has now become an expert on what it is, apparently. So, 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 I mean, I, I do, I'm, I'm trying to unpack this. So, mm. with, with 16, all I've heard about it from other, from everything I've read is that it's, like, grim and, um, like, yeah, just, just serious. Just grim and serious. Okay, um, yeah. and, and I'm just trying to like, like when you're talking about how Final Fantasy is trying to find its identity again. Like, fifteen was a road trip, or at least that's how it was marketed. I didn't play fifteen. Handsome Man Road Trip is not an inaccurate description of that game, which. But it was kind of like friends going on a road trip, going on a journey, and having some adventures along the way. Like, and it seemed a bit like more than that, but it's an elevator pitch that works. Yeah, yeah, but it, I mean, there, there was stuff happening, and obviously, you know, there's a wider, wider, you know, meta story, meta narrative happening in that world. But that gave that gives me at least a, a sense of who that person, you know, the, the the core, the conceit, I guess, not necessarily mm-hmm. premise, but the conceit. I don't get what the what that is here in 16 is it just 
grim, grim dark all the way. Tr- I'm gonna like take that and break it over my knee a little bit in a second. But like, and so I'm like trying to get here, it's like because part of it is like Final Fantasy's identity has always changed a little bit from game to game. But when the yes. technology was more restricted, there were certain just things you could rely on. And now, like, this one is kind of, like, ticking some of the boxes. So, oh, yeah, here's that boss thing in me you knew. Check. There's some Jacobos in there. Check. The money is called Gil. Check. And, like, a few other things. Like that. One of the characters is called Sid. Check. I'm guessing there's a big Zinner Wedge in there somewhere as well at some point. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so they went from there, and then they went to, like, 13, which they did, like, showed that game off before they even knew what it was. And then, yeah, 15 was supposed to be this, like, this weird course correction. They made two MMOs and, like, numbered them in the process somewhere along the way in this. And so we get to 16, and, like, ha- like I remember a few years ago, Square being like, we're worried, because, like, the audience for these games, this and Dragon's Quest, like, the audience is getting older, we need to, like, we can't just keep on doing this turn-based thing, like, we need to attract new people, so... Yeah, what they seem to have done here is, one of the conceit is this clearly started development when Game of Thrones was in its zenith. Like, it, this, and that's actually super obvious in the opening bits, which are in the demo. And this does develop more of its own identity after the first couple of hours, but, like, that influence is just front and center. And the story, or the, like, premise, if you like, you could kind of describe it as Japanese spin on Game of Thrones with a very MMO feel with just moments where it just turns into massive kaiju fights. <laughs> Okay, I, I, I'm on board with the kaiju. The kaiju, f- the thing is, the kaiju fights are fucking awesome. But it's so yeah. like it, it is very tonally conflicted there. But yet, yeah, the thing that gets me like those happen every now and then. But the pacing in this is like super weird. Like you can tell, even if you didn't know, you would be able to kind of guess that the designer was coming from an MMO perspective. There's just something about the way the conversations play out the way the quests are given, it feels like there's, like, quite a bit of waffle, and then, obviously, there's a whole controversy surrounding the combat, which is kind of, like, scaled back to be a bit more approachable for non-character action game fans. Devil May Cry. But this is... This, this is the thing that, like, really confuses me about, like, what Square is targeting with this. Because I think what they've made is actually, for the most part, pretty good. But, like, they're trying to get younger players, and they've got, like, the action combat in there, but, like, you're, you're mo- like after the flashbacks you're mostly it, it, the whole game just reeks of like well us it reeks of 30 to 40 year old white men I was gonna say well not us <laughs> oh. or apparently Singaporeans <laughs> Chinese Singaporeans yeah um is it very up its own ass because that's one of the like that's one of the pitfalls of some Final Fantasy games when it takes itself very seriously. Like, it takes its, like... Not really. It kind of... It does the serious stuff well enough. Like, and it steps in. But its pacing is definitely off. Hmm. Um, it can feel like it's just dragging a long time. Um, but that, that white man coming in... Like, like the, well, I've literally just gotten to a part of the world now where, like, oh, people's skin is, like, a little bit darker. Um, and there's, like, one female character in your party who just feels completely inconsequential. Like, <laughs> you could just remove her and the story would play out exactly the same, almost. She technically has a position, but, like, it's, like, this kind of big, complicated political drama. So, again, like, the Game of Thrones there. It's mm. very much 
you're in a hub and you're kind of like branching and traveling to different parts of the world and going back. One thing that I've noticed, and this is probably very much a me thing, and maybe it's happened in other games before, but it really bugged me here, is that you don't stop at inns. You never sleep. And like that's that I know that's like a that sounds like a super nitpicky thing and it probably is but like we all have our things that because normally like in an RPG like this like the inn is just the place where you go and you pay your one hundred gil and then you wake up the next day and your wounds are healed. Mm. But it also provide like I just feel like it kind of provides a sense of journey. There is like no yeah. sense of journey in this, and partly because you're not really going on a journey. You have a central base and you like go into different parts of the map and always seem to come back again. Mm. Um, but I've just, I, I just realized, like, so Final Fantasy XV actually did this very well, because you were all, like, that whole, like, you know, they had to tie buffs to it, but, like, cooking at the end of the day, aside from the buffs, it created this sense of, like, place and, like, time and doing stuff together, and, like, I've been getting these flashbacks to Grundia 2 of all games, which, like, started to feel very predictable, but I really liked it, where ev- at the end of every day of gameplay, when you got to the new town, you'd always have this scene of, like, your party kind of eating together at the inn. And something about that being missing more than anything else that makes me feel like this doesn't feel like an RPG so much anymore. Like, I don't feel like I'm exploring a world. I feel like I'm going through stages. I get this. I, I, I see where you're coming from here. That's an interesting sense of, like, a sort of meta-progression that, seem, that seems to be missing. Which... Yeah, I mean, outside of the normal gameplay thing, which I said, like, the gameplay thing is that you go to the inn and then you restore your health and MP and, like, that all levels up. But even outside of that, it just does something to your sense of, like, the world being... being that it is. So, a part of, like, I'm, I think I'm partly just being bugged is I want to be going on a quest, and I'm not going on a quest, rather I'm, like, doing missions out here and there. Um, but it is, without question, polished. Like, absolutely very well polished. Again, I kind of, like have to like applaud the bre- the bravado of the video the, the visual design like it's kind of nuts outside of the kaiju fights and they're, they're basically are straight up kaiju fights where like there's just like particle effects and bright lights going everywhere how even though you can kind of see some ps4 like background how like right the world looks i think they probably use put a lot of effort in if there's any ray tracing in this game it, it's definitely not in the water. You can see some pretty clear screen space stuff going there. I think they probably put a lot of effort into the shadows in a way. So the world never looks wrong, which is actually a pretty big accomplishment. But it also means the game just never jumps out in your face. And I think the upscaling that they're using to get to 4K is garbage. Which is like a weird generational gripe I've got. Because I remember when the PS4 Pro came out and I was like, Oh, this first generation like checkerboard is pretty cool. I can't ima- can't wait to see what Sony puts in the next gen console. And like that never materialized. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see. Like, I'm definitely gonna like keep on going with it. I'm curious to. See, I'm, I'm a bit bummed that like we were gonna have Huso on this as well, but like he's come down with a stomach bug. Oh. This the day after like he was sending me all these pictures of these beer flights, and the last time I got a stomach bug after drinking a beer flight, I got it bad enough that my travel insurance had to like pay out for me. So oh. I was like, yeah, maybe. Maybe take a rest, Huso, although I I do hope we get back. So I also want to hear his take on it, because that is my thing, like, he was talking about it a couple of weeks back, or a couple of episodes back, about how maybe this is the first Final Fantasy game that he will finish, and be like, great, cool, like, I'm glad you're enjoying it, but that, like, brings me back to the question of, like, I don't think Square Enix wants to bring Huso into the fold. 
mm. probably wants to bring his kids into the fold, and I don't see this hitting with, like, the late high schoolers. Yeah. It's just, like, Very tone... It, yeah, it's such... Like, they've done these things that seem to, like, try and attract the youth, but then Tony and all these other design elements seem completely designed for, like, grown-ass dudes. Like... <laughs> It's a very, very beguiling concoction, albeit one, like, pretty skillfully done for the most part, I think. Again, like, I wish I'd been assigned to review this, because then I would have also been taking notes as I was playing it, as opposed to just, like, starting to have thoughts after the first few hours, going, huh, if only I would be using a notepad so I could, like, organize all of these a little bit better. <laughs> Which, maybe, maybe I will organize some thoughts right now. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back... Games at Open Well. we're back and you know what unlike me or adam because of me last episode games sometimes start strong although to be fair not always also like you know how we have two episodes 113 now and what you know define i i was gonna say let's try and talk about like what makes a good game start and then i just realized you know different genres and approaches and shit and maybe there's not a secret formula so it might be easier, more fun, and actually perhaps more beneficial to just, like, talk through some games that we think open really well, and why it works for that game. Again, be that just a cool tone-setting CG thing, be that, like, just a very well-designed first level that teaches mechanics, be that a tutorial that you don't even realize is a tutorial, be it... Whatever. Rob, you told me you had, like, a nice little list prepared. Yeah. Hit me, oh, hit me with off. one you think the rest um, Ken and I maybe don't have. Alright, um, I'm gonna say X Beyond the Frontier. Yep, did not have that. I'm gonna tell you, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Some yep. components did not have that. Yeah, so X Beyond the Frontier was a space trading game that came out around 2000, and the sort of basic setup is humanity's about to build, like, a hyperspace-capable ship, and you're doing the test. So the tutorial section of it is you're doing these sort of little test flight bits of, like, making sure all the controls work. And then the last part of it is you're about to do the hyperspace jump and it malfunctions and you end up in another part of the universe. And so Wait. that brings you into the game proper. So you're doing all the little, like, you know, you know, here's your throttle controls, here's your turning controls, here's how your targeting system works, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, space combat games tend to have decently sized manuals and this didn't really have that. It was just a much 
even though that game, you know, especially if you know where the X series goes in terms of the complexity, this was sort of a little more simpler, simpler in comparison. But it still had enough in there that, you know, it had to teach you that. And I kind of liked the way that that was integrated in. And, like, thematically it felt pretty solid as, like, hey, this is how this system works. And he's had to play this game. And it sort of built it up and made sense from the narrative angle. And this was Not still like in an clicked. era when a, a lot of games would be like, either read the really thick manual or we're going to give you instructions and click OK and then give you another instruction and make you click OK. Yeah, and this was like, this was that sort of interactive thing, almost like a lead into a lot of the things we do today. Um, so it was a nice little, nice little tutorial kind of sequence that feels, it felt really good at the time and... I'll admit, I haven't played that game since back then, so I can't... Maybe my memories of the execution are completely wrong in places, but that's what I remember it being, just like, it sort of stood out back then for doing that. Yeah, I mean, a caveat, I guess, for all of us is, you know, time, both passing and how much of it we have. We will be talking about some things that we remember from 10, probably more years ago, that definitely set a standard then, but I don't know how well they're necessarily going to... Especially if it's a spectacle thing, hold up. Yeah. Um, today, although I want to, like, in terms of, um, kind of sneaking the tutorial on you, I still kind of want to put Portal forward as a gold standard. Mm. And the reason for that is, I still, I've played that game maybe three times, which isn't saying a lot, because it's like three hours long, so. That's like an average game length. But I still cannot really tell you whether tutorializing in Portal ends and it becomes the actual game. Ooh. Yeah. That's a that's, it's, a, that's a, it is a smooth a, rail. Yeah, they really nailed that execution there. Like really agree with that one. I'm I'm surprised I didn't think about that one and put it on my list, but yeah, that's one I definitely agree with. They really just got not the quite as smooth in Portal 2, but maybe funnier. So I kinda give a point yeah. for that. Yep. The opening Portal 2 is legitimately hilarious, which in itself is also actually quite difficult to do. <laughs> anyway, Ken, you yeah. seem to have some thoughts earlier, and it was you speaking about another Valve game that maybe birthed this entire topic, so... Yeah, I mean, if you listen to the last week's... the last episode, I talked about how I was recently playing Black Mesa, which is the fan remake of Half-Life, and... One, the very fact that a fan remake can exist on Steam's website, uh, on Valve's uh, um, store, web store. It's kind of like the original Sonic Origins, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, I guess. Was Sonic Origins a fully fan-made thing? It was ma- Sega paid fans to make it. Yeah. Wait, is I, it Origins I, or is it General? Oh, I can't. Yeah, I think it's Origins. Mania. Mania is the one I'm thinking of. Yes. Yeah. Subtitles in um, games don't mean anything anymore. Um, <laughs> That's true. Colon something. I talked, yeah, I talked about how like Half Life's opening at this point is iconic in terms of setting the tone of the game. You are a scientist. You are moving along. Uh, the train sequence as you you know go deeper and deeper into this research facility. Um, and you see, like, glimpses of military uh, personnel just sort of hanging about, and you see all kinds of scientists hanging about that sort of sets the tone and also, you know, establishes the fact that you yourself, you know, Gordon Freeman, the character you play, is not, like, um, 
an action hero. Yeah. I mean, you know, the whole point is you're going to work. You're clearly yeah, a you're going specialist in something, but it's not firearms. Yeah. But w- one thing I did say, so, th- you know, that whole train sequence is iconic, but the point, I mean, so that establishes the tone very well, establishes your character very well, but one thing that I noticed at, on Black Mesa this time in one of my, my playthrough, and I don't know whether this was in the original game as well, is very near the end of that train sequence. There is a little bit, um, as your, tr- as your tram is, you know, preparing to dock, you see, like, a chemical spill. Like, the, a chemical vat had broken open, and this kept, this is green goo just, you know, uh, uh, spilling out, and people are, you know, panicking. You can see these, you know, these little other scientists and other workers like getting a bit worried and, you know, scuff, you know, scuffling around trying to solve this issue. And it's like, oh, I never noticed this little touch. And it's kind of like starts to suggest that this place, this might be a research facility, but may not be as pristine and upkept as you first are led to think. Which is kind of then leads into the bit where um, you as a character cause a massive explosion which then kicks off the events of Half-Life. Um, like that little nugget, I'm like, I'd never noticed that before. Like there's the whole trade sequence, it's iconic, I remember all of this, I don't remember this little touch. You know what's really this embarrassing? Su- is what? you spoke about this when you were speaking about the game itself and I still have not bothered to look up as if that's in the original yeah. game or not. <laughs> it's fine. But the yeah. connotation, the connotation and the, the suggestion that yeah, maybe things here in this in this facility is just not as upkept and highly maintained as you might think it should be. It see everything seems a little bit broken down, everything seems a little bit like mm, you know, and then you hear. I think as you po- as you walk along, you hear like other scientists like sort of grumbling around, like "Oh my god, this fucking thing." <laughs> I kind of want. I really should just take a few minutes on YouTube sometime before this thing goes live and look up and see if it's in the original. But you know, that is one of the things that you know, and this is what sparked this discussion here is just that opening, that whole sequence is just so iconic. And so effective at setting the tone. Um, one of the thing, one of the other games that 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 opens really, really well for me, and this is going to be, I guess, controversial. No, maybe. Um, is Elder Scrolls Oblivion? Oh, I was actually kind of hoping nobody would say a game where you walk out of the thing and see the whole world in front of you, because. <laughs> That's the first time it's ever happened to me. Like, I'm sure, you know, perhaps that whole stepping out of something, uh, stepping out of a dark thing into a bright thing is now um, cliche, maybe. You know, I think all the Elder Scrolls have done something similar. I think Skyrim was... Well, Skyrim was not. Skyrim, you were running away from a dragon. before it. Um, Morrowind, and I think I think it was reduced to me because I still think Oblivion has garbage art design. So I walked down that wall and was like, "Blair, these trees look don't seem to match the grass. It's weird." That's I mean, it may 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 or may not be, but like this was 
this was, you know, like early 20s me playing on a 360, um, putting Oblivion in. But the whole sequence up until that, it's like, oh, I'm in the dungeon. I'm talking to Sir Patrick Stewart. He's someone. Like, he never turns up ever again, I don't think, in the game. Like, he, <laughs> he's got a cameo. Uh, I'm in a dark place. I'm in a dark place. And then I find myself then step out of the sewers. When I will say and... there is something special. And it's it's going to go. Like, there's not much of it le- that we're going to ever be able to experience ever again. There is legitimately, and it's 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 timed, something special about playing a game on, like, a proper new piece of hardware that actually manages to do a thing that lets you know that you are playing that new piece of hardware. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. But this, like, that transition, that transition from, like, this tiny, like, claustrophobic, dirty, dank, musty space then spills out and you know they do the whole like oversaturation and the, the you know, extreme brightness and and your eyes slowly adjust right <laughs> as everything comes every single 360 focus. game did yeah right like uh, you know you go through a tunnel in a racing game and everything flashes white for a couple of seconds <laughs> They're very, very, very keen to show you that saturation and the, 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 the intense brightness, intense white light. Like we can I'm do glad we white, got. Right? Th- I'm really glad we got, went through that phase before HDR became like commonplace because that <laughs> could legitimately be painful. Um, but I- the thing is, like, just, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to finish up quickly. It's like that moment was pivotal to my experience and my enjoyment of Oblivion. Because it's the first time I played a game like this where it's, you know, ostensibly open world. Um, and I remember in the first, like, probably minute or two of just standing there, I'm like, what do I do now? My character has just stepped out of the sewer, and I guess there's a castle somewhere off in the distance, and there's a maybe a body of water off in another distance I'm like what do i do it that i have a i have a quest that says like a get to somewhere i'm like i don't know where that is where am i like that whole those mo- that that very moment of utter confusion of not trying to sort of my 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 both my real brain and also my my character's brain trying to reconcile where they are in the world and what are they supposed to do now that was so in tune between the character in the game and myself that I'm like oh I can I, I can go anywhere I want I can I, do I just pick a direction to walk I guess do I like that's south let's go there um is that where I'm supposed to go? I don't know. Like that moment of confusion and that moment of trying to figure out where I am is both me actually as a human person, me, and also my character. And I've never sort of replicated that feeling um, quite so um, quite so intensely where, where my mindset and the character's mindset was so, like, perfectly overlapping. 
Mm. And I think that particular moment was 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 amazing. I think Fallout Three was probably a bit weaker, just because I'd seen that trick. Oh, I think that is well. Uh, I believe Skyrim's is actually considered to be a bad opening, but everybody ended up loving the game anyway. So. Yeah, but I, I wanted to actually but, uh, rewind like just a little bit from Half Life because we like Half Life is just established as history, and I think it's fair to say that Valve knows how to open a game. Um, they know how to write that first page that. of the book. Um, but like literally going back like just half a year before it, because um, like up until this point, like even though we kind of like mouse look could kind of become the norm, and like shooters were like getting a bit more sophisticated, it was still very much of like. Here's a character, you get a gun, and you start shooting stuff. That was li- or, Here's a character, you already have a gun, and you're shooting stuff. Mm. Um, and the first graphics card, never had Voodoo Banshee, if that means anything to anybody, came with an extended demo of Unreal that didn't even say it was a demo, but it had to be, because it was just like a point of no return. Like It's just like a wall, a literal wall that just gets in your way. Um, one, wow. that game was maybe a bit too graphically intense for the graphics card it was um, packaged with. I had to dial a couple of things back. <laughs> Maybe still also the first game that I had to see in motion to understand how good it looked. Screenshots always kind of looked weirdly blocky and angular, and then you saw it moving, and you like saw a texture sliding over other textures. It was like what? Like more than that? Like you wake up in like a space, like in a, like a grimy space prison ship, prison ship, jail, and like something has gone wrong. There's been some sort of chaos. The alarm lights are going this is already just completely different to like any other first person shooter like in all the screenshots I've seen you're looking down the barrel of this like weird shotgun pistol thing um and just that like that this means nothing anymore this is what I mean when I say some of these things we talk about may not be special but like this you want to talk like confusion I was like this isn't how a first person shooter opens and like there are like some like note things there and like I was like what am I? and eventually kind of figured out where I had to go and I'll say like the end this whole thing like peaked and this is where I'll say like the injury ends for me was like there's this one point where you like code down this corridor and the doors just lock and you're trapped in there and you just hear what has happened to this ship happening to somebody and then they eventually open again and there's just a jibs because jibs were very big in the mid to late 90s <laughs> like just floating around and like these panic lights everywhere and it's like Again, this would almost be normal now, but, like, this is atmosphere building, like, happening for the first time. Like, so they're prioritizing something more than get the gun and point it at the thing. Yeah. And at the time, it was fucking rad. Like, that Unreal, even just loading up and having the... The, the fly through the castle thing? <laughs> yeah! I remember that being in computer shops. It's just like, look at this thing. And it's just like, they, they, they had you wowed on the seat of your pants from a tech angle. And you actually sat down and played it, and it just felt like such a step forward compared to, like, a lot of games, you know, your Quakes and Duke and mm. Dooms, and then that. And then, of course, like, you know, Half-Life was the next step. And this happened like, to be a very soon next step that really did do a lot of that stuff better, frankly. It is a better game. Like, there's no question about yeah. it. Um, I, I kind of miss that epic <laughs> in, in, in some regards, but, yeah. Yeah, Unreal, like, they really got the atmosphere down with that first game and just, they never replicated it. Because no. Unreal 2 was no, was nowhere near as good. Unreal Tournament, though really fun. Well, just don't know if Arena Shooters are games I really think about as, like, having strong openings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the thing. Like, they, they're not. They, and they, they just sort of threw away the... By focusing on that, they, you know, no reason for a single-player thing. 
Um, so yeah, it's definitely definitely a, a, a missed step. Like they just sort of would love to have seen had they really focused on a proper Unreal Two and not outsourced it to whoever they did. It just wasn't as good. Or if we can just like talk them into doing it as just a, like a vanity project because they have <laughs> infinite money now. Like, can you imagine what yeah. an un, like an Unreal Twenty Twenty Three would look like? Oh my gosh. Like, oh what they could do in terms of atmosphere building and shit if, like, they actually had a care if to. If they actually cared, yeah. Um, it could be legitimately my... super special. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so my next one that I'm going to pull from my list of randomness is um, the opening sequence in Mass Effect 2. So That's another pretty common one, I believe. Like, that's yeah. a, that's a, you know, established classic in the canon. Yeah, because, like, it opens up, you know, you're on the ship... And you get attacked, and like you have to go re- get Joker out, who you know can't walk properly. Yeah, so you've got to get brittle bones walking pod. across the floor. Sorry, crawling. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to get him to an escape pod, and then of course Shepard gets blasted out, and he and dies. And that was like, because I don't know um, if the relationship, but for me, playing that game, like to me, the Normandy was as much a character in that game, in that in that first game, as the characters themselves. So seeing the ship go up in the opening minutes, it's just like, what the, what the, what the heck? Like, that was a jaw drop. And then, like, of course, seeing Shepard die in the opening minutes is like, wow, they pulled, they pulled some stuff here for their middle dark chapter. Although, although, spoiler, um, I would have respected that more if they'd really, really committed to that bit. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) And then have you, have you created, like, a brand new... yeah. Yeah, that would have been really interesting, because that would have been like... You're like, actually, we couldn't get Henry Cavill back, so we're going <laughs> to just go in this other direction now. <laughs> yeah, that would have... Actually, would have been really interesting if they'd done that and you had a new character. But yeah, that, I, mean, I mean, that's... Yeah. I, I was going to say, like, if they had done that and done a Metal Gear Solid 2 type thing where it's just like, here's a brand new character that has, that you've never known mm. before ever. Well, I kind of want to put Metal Gear Solid 2 forward as one of the greatest openings, because that tanker stage is such a yeah. well-contained... Yes. fucking bit of stealth oh, like, and a technical that, showpiece like crazy you know that game still has some of the best looking rain to date yeah I'm, I'm and it's 20 years old that. yeah like I remember getting from a mate a recording of the when they showed the, the tanker intro at, at E3 2000 yeah they had that like um 12 minute trailer or something and it was like yeah. oh shit yes oh yes I mean, I actually had the the opening dock bit from Metal Gear Solid on the list, but I think the tanker from MGS2 is an utter like step beyond just like the presentation, like that opening cutscene, and then just the way that whole thing plays out because it just shows you all the new sandbox of Metal Gear Solid 2 with you know so much so many more options for stealth and and you know outsmarting the 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 enemies. And it also sold like a million copies of Zone of Enders. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but it was like just a perfectly contained Naga. Like it was almost yeah. like, you know, what a Metroid intro should be. It kind of like out Metroid Prime, Metroid Prime before Metroid Prime came yeah. out. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, because replaying Metroid Prime Remastered you know, a few months back, the opening sequence is is good, but yeah, it's it's not not up to the par of that. Like that one's just like wow. Like that is just pure classic for execution. Um, I think actually that game when these remasters come out, we're going to find out it's aged a lot better than we realized. 
Yeah. I think it's going to be a whole lot of... Kojima's got a lot of weird, confusing psychobabble, but also he's weirdly prophetic with a lot of his themes, and it's kind of like, come out, this game was actually kind of genius. I I hope... There's only one concern I have that really annoyed with the previous HD collection that I worry is going to happen, and it's just the camera is going to be messed, like, 4x3 to 16.9, and I Mm. think it makes Metal Gear Solid 2 really hard to play. And I worry it's going to make the first game hard to play as well. Whereas... Because it's subsistence for Snake Eater, yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be fine. That's my one concern. Um, Snake Eater also opened it pretty well, but yeah, I'm putting Metal Gear Solid Two as like the one of those that really just kind of got everything right for that, that first chunk. Yep. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Um, one other one that's gonna probably be a little off kilter because not many people have the the means to play it. Front Mission Gun Hazard on the. On the SNES or See, say this is Gun why Gun. I'm happier on this episode. <laughs> Wait, which yeah. one? Front Front Mission Gun Hazard was a side game that was a. Oh. It, so it was done by the the team, a lot of the devs who worked on Cybernator, um, and so this isn't like Front Mission, you know, turn-based mech strategy. This is side-on mech action. And it's a, it's. It's an incredible game that one I wish would get a proper it's official localization. Got a little so bit I'm, of a Metal Slug kind of aesthetic to it. If I'm looking at. Yeah, and so the first mission opens up, and you're and you're supposed to be like escorting like the president of this country to a thing, and it all goes wrong, and like a, a unit go turns traitor, and so you have to basically get escort the president to get this onto this truck, and then he drives off. So he's driving, and your your mech unit, your Wanza, is protecting him. And it's just like it's that sort of movie thing of just going wrong, and so it's so it sets it up as like oh this, you know what you think happens, but completely different different experience goes down. It the way it just executed itself was just really good at that point, and that's you know that mid nineties square where they were just where they were just oh on they they when they wanted to flex they could flex they flex. This is like the the game's got amazing presentation, an excellent soundtrack, like. They really use the Super NES hardware well, and it's like it's it's a really good game that sort of brought this sort of action um, RPG experience with like you know run and gun mech action that was something that was pretty unique at the time. Mm. And so the the way the story was set up with that, as you start going on missions on this sort of wider quest to clear your name and 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 stuff, I, I sort of like. Because, yeah, you had to sort of deal with being framed as a result of this, like, you're being framed for kidnapping the president when it's like, no, you're just getting him out of there. And so you had to be yeah. careful of how this, the story unfolded. A pretty neat game to check out. Yeah, I think you Ken's interest, and that's not easy to do with retro stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's it's just different <laughs> enough, and because it was only, you know, it was only ever released in Japan, so most people in the West probably wouldn't know about it unless they really are into, you know, Finding translated rom rom dumps and yeah. whatever. Um, Hello, yeah. While we're would... while we're on Square, I guess. Like, I do have to throw out there that I think maybe it's a small part of like why it was the one that took off was um Final Fantasy VII. Maybe still the best opening FMV. Hmm. Not technically anymore, but like <laughs> like just in terms of like creating an atmosphere and like knowing the, what the vibe of that game was. Like, it was perfect again. Like, just that kind of like. The swirling stars sounds kind of junk, but like they did that for just long enough. They kind of like pan, and then well, it kind of turns to the 
what I would call Final Fantasy VII green-blue. Like, there is a colour that you know is Final Fantasy VII. They milked it for what all it was worth and they were unveiling the remake just to, like, tease people that maybe this is what you think it is. <laughs> um, and kind of like the music was, like, just very, very subdued, especially for the era. Like, it was, like, crazy. It was kind of just going... Which 90s games did not do very much. Yeah. And you just kind of like had Aerith there praying, which was this fantastic bit of foreshadowing. Because you also just completely, you don't know who this person is. And then it like just kind of goes up and like it, here's a flex that kind of like pulls out over like the entire city. Like the logo kind of like blows up. And then you kind of get these intercuts of this like train like pulling into a station. And it's actually really well paced, like, they kind of, like, do the zoom in, like, from one angle and, like, a train on the other until, like, you're just there and then just Cloud and, like, well, Barrett and Tifa, I think, just run off the train and Cloud fucking backflips or whatever. And then they go into, like, what is a very immediately kind of panicky, like, just straight up, very fast-paced, very well-contained opening mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like, the whole opening, like, so you got, like, just this bang on FMV that just like sets the tone like it establishes the vibe makes things look cool and then this kind of well-contained mission sl- very slightly ruined by the English translation telling you to do the wrong thing against the first boss Ugh. Ugh. Do you, you seem to remember this no because I I so I never played it on PS1 I've been I played the first couple of hours with the re-release on Switch so I don't know if they re-localized re-release on Switch yeah you can you mean you Advent Children? No, FF7. Oh, the, re- oh, the re-release, not the remake. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. That makes a bit more sense. Yeah. So I don't know if they re if they they may have, it. but like with that first boss, like if the ta- if you attack it when the tail's up, it will just beat the shit out of you. Um, mm. and they forgot the word "don't" when Barrett's telling you to not attack it with the tail up. Um, oh. it really makes it sound like you're supposed to take. Uh, you're supposed to do the one thing that you're not. Not the game's fault, though. The fact that, you know, Sony put one translator oh. <laughs> as opposed to a team on this massive game. Yeah, um, that's that's a bad flex. Damn it. <laughs> but, yeah, and also, yeah, props to the remake as well for, like, not fucking it up. Like, there are some things that I'm, like, I love that game a lot still, actually, that I wasn't a big fan of, but, like, they got that opening sequence down. Like, absolutely nailed it. Um... And then not doing it so great, Final Fantasy VIII was just too much of like, let's look at all this fancy video, it's basically a J-pop clip, and it's like, no, that was just flexing for flexing's sake, it didn't actually do anything, that one sucked. Technically more impressive, not nearly as good. Yeah, I mean, speaking of opening cutscenes, like, of opening a video to a game, my all-time, my, I'll, I'll give my top two here. The first, the one that punched, was just punched so much for me was MechWarrior 2. Because I just like that was that came out long after we moved to PC. Lovely. So that was. Yeah, I better say you're speaking Ken's language again. You're like, yeah, I know. What are the coming from Rob at the moment? <laughs> I've been playing that on stream lately, so it's it's why that stuck. But like a two minute like FMV cl- sequence of you know all CGI like mechs in action. It's just like it just set the atmosphere for that game so well that I still remember it nearly thirty years later even before having seen it recently by playing it on stream. It's just such a cool sequence. It, it, it has nothing to do with the story, nothing to do with anything in the actual game's thing. It's just a cool showpiece of a bunch of mechs in, in battle with incredibly atmospheric music, memorable speech clips, and just an amazing, just, just a wonderful execution. It's incredibly good tension. Um, 
But the big one that actually does contribute to seed setting is another game I've mentioned in, in prior episodes, but Independence War. Um, that's a game that was PC Space Combat Simulator. You fly a ship that's sort of like think Defiant mm. from Deep Space Nine, White Star from Babylon 5. Um, and the opening, so you would sort the game off the first disc, and the rest of the first disc was a 15-minute cutscene. And it basically sets the stage of this big space war and the final battle of this um, character named Jefferson Clay, who's this highly decorated um, officer. And it sort of builds up, but it's like a little mini space opera story in the wider sort of background setting of the game. And it, like, it ends with this, with this great, like, well-done space battle that is like... He has to do the valiant thing of sacrifice himself and separate the ship because, like, these ships in, in Independence War have like a, a command section that docks. All right, Rob, but but is it as good as the opening of Saints Row Four? I haven't seen. I haven't. You haven't seen before. the opening of the Saints Row Four? Oh my gosh! Where there's a point I, I where to... be, just before you become the president of the United States of America by literally landing in the chair, <laughs> you're climbing. <laughs> You were climbing up the side of a rocket while the Armageddon song plays. Oh my goodness. No, I don't, I don't think it's going to be as epic as that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. No, it's not as epic as that. Um, but it just, it, again, it sets the, it set the tone for this, like the military conflict and the, the sort of characteristics of the, of the, of the good the good human military faction world government thing versus the indies who had this thing. I think it was inspired by Ian Banks's novels where their ships had like, were all graffitied with like bits and pieces. Like one ship was rechristened the under new ownership that they'd taken over. <laughs> this indie faction, they basically were stealing the, they were basically commandeering the, the, uh, the Commonwealth Navy who were the side that you are assigned to, um, but then that, of course, leads into, like, the way the intro ends, there's a battle, Clay sacrifices himself, the ship gets, the, the ship and the, that he commandeers is basically uh, sabotaging battle, but, um, and the first mission has you actually having to find a, a, a ship to salvage, and you salvage that, and sort of the big Wait. plot thing, and so you're going through scanning two ships in a, in, a, in a debris field, and then you dock to it, and it powers up. And it turns out that there was this experimental device that captured Jefferson Clay's personality when he died. So you've got the Captain Omatic. So he's beyond the grave as a character, like, informing you of, like, there's one mission early on where he sort of drops a clue into what you should do to sort of solve the puzzle in the mission. And so it's things like that. Um, again, it's sort of an, an, an interesting atmosphere. I don't know if this is clever or silly or both or... It's kind of both. It's kind of both. Because the, the, the writing is aware of itself on this. Because when you activate, it's like, we're getting a communication. It's coming from on board the ship. And he starts reporting. And the, and the first thing he says, would you dig up my grave? And it's, they go, what okay. do you mean? Because I'm here dead. You know, this is basically my, you know, implying that, you know, the ship that you've just salvaged is basically his grave. Um, so all of that. And then it's like, oh, but they've recorded my, but this has recorded my personality, and now you know I'm here as the captain nomadic for a for a new trainee crew. All right, but I'm going to call you Holly. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, kind of, I guess, kind of that thing, that aspect. <laughs> um, definitely worth a. Um, I'm sure someone has ripped that intro and put it up on YouTube. 
It's definitely, oh, there's definitely no a watch question list. that it's up there. Yeah. Like I said, quarter of an hour. Like, I couldn't think of many games that did that outside of, like... Metal Gear. All the... <laughs> Hell, <of> Kojima. Yes. <laughs> Kojima stuff. Oh, I was yeah. also thinking of stuff like, like, like Wing Commanders. Like, Wing Commander 4. Probably do that. I had a, a good one. But that was, you know, $10, $12 million of FMV and, and film sets and all of that. So it's basically literal movie territory. Hmm. See you, Oh, man. Um... I've actually got to, I actually do want to give a shout out to Curse of Monkey Island. Ooh. Because it's just like, not many classic adventure games did this where it really did have like a very, here's a, a couple, a couple actually did, but like a very like just nicely contained, here are a couple of puzzles for you to figure out. They actually make complete sense. You're going to figure out the um, mechanics by itself. And Murray, like one of the greatest bits of dialogue <laughs> in adventure game history. You get like the perfect exchange with that fucking skull. <laughs> um, it kind of reminds me, not nowhere near as good, but I like the opening to Fate of Atlantis, where you've got the little the little comedic sequence where Indy's in like various rooms, he's looking for something, and then you interact to try and like grab a book or something, and then he trips and falls into the next section. Next bit of credits pop up, and sort That's of like a cute little mechanic. I've... Yeah, it's a cute little it's a cute little sequence. Um, like it gives you gives you a good bit of a good laugh as you set the tone of that as you set the tone up again it's like it's not consequential for the actual story if memory serves but i just i just thought that was a fun opener too it doesn't have to be it just has to like set a tone is kind of like i feel like the most important bit yeah and it, it certainly sets that of like what you expect from indie yeah <clears throat> um i'm just going to round out with a couple more and yeah. you know i um Remedy games, um, Alan Wake and Control. Um, okay, go on. Just in terms of like what what makes an opening work for me is yeah, setting that tone, setting that that hook that is like hmm, there's a little bit something more here that's worth investigating. And Alan Wake, the way it starts out, it's just. The combination of, you know, the car crash sequence and then the sequence of you, you on the barge going to town and literally, and then going into the cafe, going to the cafe. That is like, it's so Twin Peaks. It's so like, where's its inspiration on its sleeve that if you're a fan of that stuff, that sort of like a little bit creepy, a little bit off kilter, that's a bit of weird, like something's not right here. And I want to go find out more. Um, that's what makes the, 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 the sort of the opening sequence for, for Alan Wake work really well. And then it starts with the whole like narration and the, uh, and the unreliable narrator and the, like, oh, wait, did this happen? No, no, it didn't. Like, uh, it's just really weird. And control was similar. Like, I really love control. Like, as a whole game, I really, really like control. Um, but the whole the the opening sequence where again, oh, I don't even know the name name of the lead character now. Um, Jesse. Jesse. She's going into the building. She's just assuming that she's just going to check up on something. But everything about that building 
is about the uh, the bureau it's just really really weird and there's nobody there and it's empty and then she encounters the the weird um janitor who's just yeah. like m- m- mumbling to himself in incoherent words like that tone that whole like very very x-files um very very um dark is not the word for it but there's something like sinister um something unknown something mysterious it's offbeat it's it's just everything's just like it's it's how do you describe it like when everything just feels like half an inch to the left it's kind of normal but kind of not it's offbeat in a way that's disconcerting it's and and setting that tone um right off the bat and just being consistent with that tone throughout that then that that opening sequence that tone is is consistent throughout the rest of the game just just makes the game just really really shine for me i i love that game um <clears throat> but yeah that whole for me that the setting the tone right um, and also sort of giving you the central premise or of the game you know it's like this is this is about x and you're gonna and you're gonna want to find out why um that works for me and i think control does it very well i think alan wake does it very well um I feel like control does it better personally it's been a long time so yeah I've i think so. so yes but but you know they're all sort of they they come from that same sensibility I think that Remedy has no there's a definite oh. definite flavor yeah but I think it's that it's just, it's just that because of that sort of that flavor and that consistency that I wanted to bring up both in, in the same in the same in the same uh, in the same on the same note but, but also like those, those uh, the, the both worlds are supposedly linked as well so yeah, I guess there's actually that. Um, yeah, I've got a couple more things to sit here. Um, one, I was convinced by a pretty entertaining internet video, the sort of which cannot exist anymore because YouTube does not pay enough for animation to really be done when you can earn just as many views by playing games on with a friend in front of a camera. Um, but Mega Man X. Oh, yeah. Not a game I played growing up. But that Agoraptor sequelitis video makes a damn good case for that game having a very strong opening. Literally yeah. right down to the opening menu where it's a little Mega Man where you choose like options or start game and he shoots his cool ass big laser chunky blast comes out of his gun arm. And you're like, this game is going to be sweet. And then you get into the game and like you start shooting what I believe he describes as lemons. <laughs> it's like, no, I want the cool blasty thing. Yeah, that... The way that that opening level is structured to sort of teach you so many of the mechanics. So it was really other Mega Man, was it Zero, whatever his name is, and he does a blasty thing, and it kind of, just watching him do it, kind of like the timing teaches you that, oh, if you hold down the button, you can do the blasty thing too. Yeah. And like some other stuff with the level design, like it's just a really good example of teaching you the mechanics without ever once having to really put a prompt there. Yeah, no, that's... That is just such an excellent bit of work. Like I, I've never been good at the at the Mega Mega Men 
Mega Gen- Man's? Well, it's Rockman in Japan, I believe. Um, yeah, no, that's right. Rockman, yeah, over there. Um, so I've never really been any good at them, but playing that opening level in Mega Man X is just like, it just shows you just, yeah, the attention to detail and just setting up a level and making the flow of it work so well. You should watch that video. Um, everybody just look up Sequelitis Mega Man. I might even put it in the um, links. And if, Rob, if you haven't seen it, I may send, I may put it into a chat as well. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm it, sure I can dig it. It's pretty entertaining. Um, on oh, top of that, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really torn about, like, I kind of want to say Deus Ex. Because that Liberty Island stage is almost perfect. But, and there is a big but, it also, before you can get there, has one of the most tutorial-ass tutorials. Oh, <laughs> we forget yeah. this, because I've played it so many times. I say three or four times, which is a lot for a game of that scale, but also over 20 years. So, I only really need to do it once, but it does have the most tutorial-ass... I'm going to talk you through it. You walk into this room, get this thing. Here is what it does. Now practice doing it. Shit. Imaginable. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, for, for a sandbox, it's sort of the, the the thing. You know, it really needs to have the sandbox a la, hmm. you know, what Mega Man X is doing. But yeah, having so it... It really fails at that, but my gosh, when it actually puts you in the sandbox itself, it is like a damn yeah. fine example. Because that, that level, like, yeah, once you're through the sandbox, it's it was good, I that I'm Liberty Island stage is just, to this date, just, not, like, not all of the game is that good. Like, it is a bit up and down. Again, overall, it's still very good. But, yeah. like, like, that, but that Liberty be- Island level, today is, to date, is still, like, just such a good example of, like, immersive sim gameplay, as I guess we now call it. Yeah. Um, couple others. Um, token shout out to Uncharted 2. I don't think I was amazed by it as most people, but like, not. It's weird to me now that I think about it, not that many games really do, do that whole. And this is, I think, this is really in my mind because of Mission Impossible. But like, they're just like kind of opening up, like in a thing that you're going to eventually end up in again later, like just choosing like a really intense moment to start with. Like it does at the very least get your attention, and I'm kind of like just throwing out the games that like, at this point I don't think think they're quite as good at setting everything up as some others. Like, so I also want to say Brutal Legend, which is out about the same time. Doesn't do a great job of telling you what that game is going to be, but is just fantastically entertaining. <laughs> like, everything from, like, the performances with the animation, like, Jack Black and, like, kind of, like, this wistful, hopeful look at this kind of, like, boy band that is pretending to be metal. And then, like, <laughs> them just kind of getting crushed by possessed belt buckle and like get like that boss fight in the very end and you like a gate comes down on its head and like you got Eddie kind of like just skidding on his knees on the ground just singing out decapitation like it <laughs> as a contained bit of gameplay it is so like it's just so much fun it does set the tone it does not for a while let you know that there's going to be a lot of RTS stuff in the game however <laughs> But as a standalone entity- thing. Um, and I guess finally for me, and this one I actually do like, which was, um, I- Ico, Ico, however you want to say it, just because I think of all the small things, this is the first time I think I'd played a game that just trusted, at least a 3D game, that trusted its players so hard as to never tell them a single thing and be like, you'll figure it out. And you do figure it out, and it's fucking amazing. 
That's it. Anybody else got anything there, else to add? There are some obvious things that I'm intentionally not saying because I don't want to. No, I uh, think that, I mean, that's that's a good note to, to add on. Yeah, I, I think all the ones that I think from my list are worth adding have, have, have been spoken for, so no yeah. more from me. We've, I know we're missing a couple of things, and if you were to Google, this would come up, and I'm actually kind of okay with that because I kind of enjoy talking about the stuff we talk about more anyway. Yeah. I think it's always nice to go sort of off, off on an off-kilter direction rather than... Yeah, you don't need to write another exact same reshuffle top ten list that everybody else has already done before. Exactly. And occasionally I want to, like, get nostalgic about, like, these, like, Dreamcast gems and they're always... Even if I type in, like, unsung heroes or whatever, it's always... Like, I know all of this already. Somebody write me something interesting. It's the same fucking list. Ugh. That's all YouTube yep. is anymore. And Google, for that matter. Like, it's just like, yeah, okay, you're all making the same list with different logos in between. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us, Rob. Where where can no, we no. find you? A few places at uh, this point, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, if the the most populous one is, of course, the the slowly decaying corpse that is Twitter. X. Um, X.com. X. That's not going to look weird, is it? This is the only dead name I'll use. It's still Twitter to me. I don't care what what he he says. Oh, it's also the just dead name old. The fact that they removed the word tweet. Yeah, like it's in the dictionary. It literally had its own dictionary definition. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm there, and it's just it's just my name, Rob underscore Caporetto. Um, and I believe you also have the blue skies now as well. Which I, have I must say is much nicer. Yeah, yeah. Um. Blue Sky, what is it? The, 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 the handles aren't quite as simple, but it's like... I think if you just search the main part of the name, it's still going to come up, though. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's just like, it's the first part of my robcap.bsky.social. Um, if you find the profile. Um, I'm, yeah, trying to fill that out. It's, it's nicer. Like, it's, it reminds you of Twitter circa 2015. Um, or earlier. <laughs> or earlier. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's there's my video stuff, um, YouTube.com/slash/at Beyond the Scanlines. Um, the last thing I put out as we're recording this was a look at F22 Interceptor for the Mega Drive. Yes, they made flight sims for that. <laughs> <laughs> now that was kind of like a big genre at the time. Like there were several. Yeah, yeah, there was there were several. There's actually like five. I was one day playing. I planned if I was going to do a roundup of all five at once because I've got them all, but. Maybe I'll just do them separate over the over the drip. Um, and of course, as I'm recording this, I've got the review I'm working on for Rise of the Triad Ludicrous Edition. There's also a player two place for that that's in the pipeline, and another one for um, Hyper Meteor, which is a pretty interesting little shooter that originally appeared on the Playdate but got ported to PC and Switch. Um, those will hopefully be on the player two YouTube channel soon enough, and the review for Rise of the Triad on the main site. Um, that's all the stuff I'm on. Cool. That is actually quite a bit. Ken? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pixel Hunt. Um, for the yeah. moment, I do have a blue sky. It you just... got the Pixel Hunt there as well? You're sticking to it now. Yeah, I got I got the Pixel Hunt there too. Um, but I'm just, that's more for camping for the moment. I'm not actively using blue sky. Not, bad. not, a, not a bad idea to at least uh, stake, the, stake the claim. Yep, Absolutely. Uh, which I should say, yeah, um, so yeah, I'm at PretendBit on Twitter, and I did, as of a couple of days ago, was quite um, generously given a code so I could um, 
stake my name on blue sky but honestly like that was the plan it was like all right just set up my account and leave it it's a lot nicer like i started scrolling through the small handful of people that have like found there and i'm like oh it's it's just showing me just the people that i follow and things that they think might be interesting to other people and that's it and this is it is just so much more pleasant it is not I, like i've made the joke about twitter like being a decaying corpse a lot but like when you get back to what it kind of once was and i'm talking like i'm thinking like back to 2012 2011 i'm thinking pre-gamergate twitter yeah <laughs> actually yeah